Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Have you ever seen someone and known whose family they belong to instantly? You see, for some people, there's a physical family likeness, and it's obvious. It might be the red hair that flows through the family. You might see a child and go, ah, I know whose parents you belong to. Or it might be height or lack thereof. It might be hair or lack thereof. But usually there is some form of family likeness. And it doesn't even have to be a physical likeness. For some, it's the way they speak. You just hear someone and you go, ah, I know where you got that from. Or it might be a character trait that people have that runs through the family. See, my brother is five years younger than I am. But if I was to bring him on stage and you were to see me, you would know that he was my brother. We have a similar amount of hair. We have a similar shape. We speak similarly. But it's not just a physical likeness that I have with my brother. You see, there actually is a Bennett family trait that goes through the male line in my family. My grandfather had this trait. He passed it along to my father and my uncle. They passed it along to me and my brother. And this Bennett family trait is that we will help anyone, anywhere, anytime. No problem at all. But if you cross us, We will go out of our way to make your life miserable. (laughs) My uncle used to run a wrecking yard down south of Adelaide. One day, as he was driving to his wrecking yard, he saw the car of someone who owed him money. Now, my uncle, with this Bennett family trait didn't go and find the person and have words with them. No. He went to his wrecking yard, got his forklift, drove it down to the servo, picked the car up, (laughs) drove it back to his wrecking yard and waited. Slightly illegal? Nope. Not slightly. That's theft. Pure and simple. But that Bennett family trait is there. It's in me. This Bennett family trait, this overdeveloped sense of justice, this overdeveloped sense of revenge is in me. We expect people to do the right thing by us. Now, 
as a Bennett, we might take things to extreme from time to time, but I think that same trait is in all of us. We all have this sense of justice. But our sense of justice needs to be balanced by God's compassion, his mercy, and his forgiveness. You see, just like there is a Bennett family trait, there is a God family trait. And as we come into God's family, we take on God's likeness. The Bennett family trait and God's family trait, when it comes to character, is usually the opposite. Usually. And you would probably find the same thing in your life. And the reality is, is that that causes a battle that's in us. Which family trait are we going to apply? You see, it's no secret that we live in a hurting and broken world. A world that needs to show, or sorry, a world that needs the church to show God's family likeness. And yet at times we find it difficult to put the word of God into practice. And particularly in the area of forgiveness. You see, we all need God's forgiveness because we fall short of his standard. And the good news is, is that regardless of what we have done, if we come to him repentant, he will forgive. In Psalm 103, it says, for his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. But we also don't just sin against God, but we sin against each other as well. And it's not just God's forgiveness that we need, but we need to give and receive forgiveness from each other. And this is hard, particularly when we're the one that's been wronged. C.S. Lewis, who was an author, a theologian, a professor, said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. You see, forgiveness is part of our family likeness. And it's something that we should be growing in. I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. If you don't have a Bible with you, it will be up on the screen. The passage is called The Parable of the Unforgiving Debtor. Then Peter came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Everyone say millions of dollars. Millions. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. 
Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Everyone say thousand dollars. Thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from the heart. Wow, what a challenging piece of scripture, hey? Let me just pray before we go any further. Father, we thank you for your word to us. Father, it is a challenging word, but at the same time, it's your word and your word brings life. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that as we delve into this passage of Scripture, won't you help us to gain everything out of it that you want us to hear today? Amen. Amen. I find this an amazing piece of Scripture. It's amazing because this is Jesus talking before his crucifixion. He's talking about, he's prophesying actually what he's going to do. And in light of what he's about to do in going to the cross, he's telling us what we should do. He tells it as a parable, as a story, so that we can, after his death and resurrection, get the true context of what he is actually meaning. I don't know about you, but I read the story and I look at this unforgiving debtor and you go, why would you do that? If you've been forgiven millions, why wouldn't you forgive thousands? And then I look at it and go, you know what? I'd do that. I'd do that. That Bennett family trait that's in me, I'd do that. I am the unforgiving debtor. There's three things that I just want to draw out of this passage of Scripture. And the first is that forgiveness is commanded. See, in this story, Jesus didn't suggest that we forgive. He didn't say, oh, look, you know, I know life's tough, but if you can get around to it, if you can just forgive each other, that, that'd be good. No, 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 no. He commanded that we forgive. Again, C.S. Lewis once said, to be a Christian is to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. The command to forgive comes in light of what Jesus has done for us. We do for others. It is that foundation that helps us forgive. You see, when Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive? It highlights the fact that we find this difficult. Peter himself found this difficult. Otherwise, he wouldn't have asked the question. 
And Peter would have known the scriptures. So I need to forgive. So if I, if I forgive once, I'm, I'm done, right? If I forgive twice, I'm generous, right? If I forgive three times, that's beyond. So if I double it and add one seven times, surely, surely that would be enough. And yet Jesus' response would have absolutely shocked Peter to the core. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, Jesus isn't saying 490 times. Can you imagine every person in your life trying to keep tally up to 490? Kestrel, yesterday, twice. Two strikes, mate. All right. Drew, oh, Drew. Bud, Bud, I'm, I'm sorry. Five strikes. Yesterday. This morning? Doesn't matter. Can you imagine trying to keep tally on all of this? Can you imagine getting to 490, Mick? You're at 490, mate. Next one, gone. No. No. Jesus isn't saying 490 times. What Jesus is saying is that we forgive and we keep on forgiving. What Jesus is really saying is, you know what? How much forgiveness you want from God... Do you want to put a limit on that? Do you really want 490 times from God? No. And so the command is that we forgive and we keep on forgiving. The good news, church. If Jesus commanded it, he'll equip you for it. You see, if Jesus is saying this is the way, then there must be the strength the courage to be able to walk that out. And Jesus will give that to us. The second thing I see in this piece of scripture is that forgiveness is a choice. The king chose to forgive the servant. The servant chose not to forgive his fellow servant. The king was willing to forgive. The servant not willing to forgive. How can forgiveness be both commanded and a choice? Free will. You see, Jesus knows what's in our best interest, and so he commands what's in our best interest. But just because he commanded it, and just because it's good for us, doesn't mean we do it. It's actually still our choice. Forgiveness is an act of the will. It's not based on our feelings. If we choose to forgive, we will have the rewards of that forgiveness. If we choose not to forgive, we will have the consequences of that decision. It's not based on our feelings. Let's face it, if it was based on our feelings, we'd never forgive. If it was based on how I feel, and when I get around to feeling good about that person, then I'll forgive them. We wouldn't ever reach that point. A couple of weeks ago, we had Pastor Danny Guglamucci here on this stage, and he was talking about living a life out of revelation, not out of reason. And unforgiveness is one of those things that if we live out of reason, we'll never do it. We'll never forgive out of reason. 
Our own voices, our own emotions are too strong to actually forgive. But we forgive out of revelation. The revelation of what Jesus did for us is why we forgive others. We make a conscious choice to forgive. The third thing that I see in this passage of Scripture is that forgiveness has a cost. You see, for the king in the parable, forgiving cost him millions of dollars. And yet when you read the parable, it says that he was calling his servants, plural, into account. And if he was prepared to forgive a servant millions of dollars, there would have been other servants who were also forgiven an amount. It cost the king millions. It cost Jesus his life. You see, Jesus laid down his life so that we could experience forgiveness from God the Father. Jesus laid down his life so that we could have right relationship with him. You see, Jesus is describing our sin as if it was a debt in the parable. And he describes forgiveness as removing that debt. The sin debts that we have are real. I've met many people over the years who choose to hold on to their sin debts. They can tell you exactly what happened. They can tell you exactly when it happened. They can tell you how it made them feel. They can tell you what they wanted to do about those sin debts. And often, as they tell you, you'd think it was yesterday. And then you find out that it was actually decades ago. See, these sin debts are personal. These sin debts are specific. And these sin debts can have lingering effects if we choose to hold on to them. I have never met a person who was holding on to a sin debt who was better off because of it. And yet, often, it's this debt that stops us from actually forgiving. Often it's the cost of forgiveness that actually holds us back. And what we need to realise, what we need to recognise, is that forgiveness has a cost, but so does unforgiveness. And if we choose to hold onto those debts then unforgiveness is going to cost us as well. From that parable, unforgiveness cost the servant. It cost him his possessions. It cost him his family. It cost him his freedom. And unforgiveness costs us as well. Unforgiveness costs us our relationship with God. If God commands us to forgive and we're choosing not to, we put a blockage between us and God. Unforgiveness costs us our relationships with each other. 
If we choose not to forgive, it's going to cause a barrier in our relationships. You know, unforgiveness costs us our freedom. When we hold on to that sin debt, often it will consume our mind. It takes our thoughts. It takes our actions. And in doing so, it takes our freedom. There's a saying that holding a grudge is allowing someone to live rent-free in your head. Unforgiveness will cost you your freedom. Unforgiveness actually costs us our health. There's numerous medical studies that show that those who are willing to forgive will have lower anxiety levels, lower blood pressure, a lower heart rate, and fewer depression symptoms. Choosing to hold onto the sin debt will rob you. Forgiveness costs, but unforgiveness costs as well. And the reality is, is that you get to choose which cost you want to pay. Do you want to pay the cost of forgiveness or do you want to pay the cost of unforgiveness? Now, you may be here today thinking, well, that's all well and good for you, but you don't know what happened to me. That person hurt me so deeply, I can't forgive. You know what? I understand. You may be thinking, that's all good in theory, but what about in practice? How how does this actually work? I may not know what you've gone through, but Jesus does. And Jesus' arms are wide enough to wrap you up, all of us. Jesus' shoulders are broad enough to take all of our hurt, all of our unforgiveness. Whilst I may not know precisely what's happened to you, I want to get a little bit vulnerable with you guys today. And I want to let you know of a situation that Kathy and I walked through that spoke directly into this topic. You see, Kathy and I have been married for 22 years this year. We've got three great kids. We've got a great relationship. But the reality is, is that it hasn't always been this way. When Kathy and I got married, we both came into the relationship with insecurity. We both came into this relationship broken, is the short answer. We had poor patterns of communication. We had poor conflict resolution skills. And about six years into our marriage, things started to really unravel for us. You see, I was working in a demanding job, thinking I was doing the right thing, doing the typical male thing. Throw myself into my work, get a good career, provide for my family. Is there anything wrong in that? No. However, what happened was that in doing that, I was neglecting my wife. And in neglecting my wife, in neglecting my wife, she wasn't connected with me. We weren't connected together really at all. We were drifting apart. And at about this time in our relationship, another guy started showing some interest in Kathy. And Kathy, feeling this need to connect 
at an emotional level, started showing interest in this guy as well. Me, I was working, I was oblivious. This other person, I would have called my best mate. Our families were close together, we worked closely together, we were in ministry together. And yet, I remember one night, Kathy sitting me down and saying, this is what's going on. Now, their relationship hadn't yet turned physical. It was just an emotional connection. But it was beyond friendship. And trust was broken. Me, I was devastated. I was blindsided by the whole thing. I had this whirlwind of thoughts and emotions just flashing around. It was tough. It was, it was really tough. It took me two weeks to decide whether I wanted to stay or leave. For two weeks, in the same house, going, what do I do here? I remember, after two weeks, distinctly having this God thought, Anyone can run, but can you stay? We knew we were in for a fight. To get our relationship back on track, to get God back into our relationship, we knew we were on a fight. But slowly slowly and surely, we were able to make progress. And we were able to turn around where our relationship was. In the remaining time we have this morning, I want to talk about just a few of the keys that we found along the way to be able to forgive each other and forgive the other person who was involved. The first thing that I learned, own your part. Own your part. You see, when we are wronged, we lose perspective. Our hurt blinds us. When we are wronged, we focus on what the other person did. It's all about them. And that Bennett family trait in me, oh, that came out. (laughs) That was right there at the surface. The turning point in me deciding to stay, anyone can run, but can you stay, came off of a God revelation to me. I failed my wife before my wife failed me. I neglected my wife. I neglected our marriage. I failed my wife, not only just as a husband, but even as a friend. Because the reality is is that I knew what those needs were. I just didn't do anything about it. And so we own our part. Sometimes God speaks to us in a soft, gentle way. This wasn't one of those times. (laughs) This was the smack on the side of the head. What are you doing, man? 
as I realised that it was actually my fault. Now, it doesn't change the actions, shouldn't have happened, whatever. But the root cause of the issue was me. Own your part. Now, I know, I know there are times where there is no part to own. I know there are times that things just happen. And when that happens, don't go searching for something to own. Let it be what it is. But if there is a part for you to own, then own your part. The second thing that we learnt is that we need to lead ourselves. See, there's a saying that speaking to yourself is the first sign of insanity. I disagree. I think speaking to yourself is the first sign of breakthrough. You see, David in the Psalms, Psalm 43 says, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I'll put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my saviour and my God. You see, the reality is, is that we are all preachers. And we get to preach to ourselves all the time. And we need to lead ourselves in these moments. You see, when we're in crisis, we tend to either get paralyzed by fear and do nothing, or we want to change everything to make sure that we change something. And both of those responses is not usually helpful. When we're in crisis, our focus narrows. All we can see is the crisis. And when that happens, we lose sight of God. It's in those moments that we usually cry out, God, where are you? God, why did this happen? God is in the same place he always has been. He's still on his throne. He's still there. He's still waiting for us when we're ready. Why did this happen? Well, it wasn't God's fault that it happened. It was my fault. There were other people involved. There were circumstances that happened. It's not God's fault, but we need to lead ourselves. You see, we need to lead ourselves in the basics of our faith because the basics of our faith are usually one of the first things to go. We need to lead ourselves in prayer. We need to pray for strength, for wisdom, for courage, for peace, for patience for endurance. We need to lead ourselves in our Bible reading. We need to lead ourselves in attending church. We need to lead ourselves in getting around leaders and being accountable. We need to lead ourselves in getting God's perspective on the situation. We need to lead our emotions because our emotions will try and take control of this. And if you don't control your emotions, they will control you. And so lead your emotions. Lead your circumstances. Don't let your circumstances dictate to you what you should be doing. Don't let your circumstances give you a victim mentality. Lead through your circumstances. Is this 
easier said than done? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Is this oversimplified? I don't think so. I don't think so. If we can keep our eyes on God, if we can utilise his strength, and if we can keep in the forefront of our minds, we're forgiving because of the debt that Jesus forgave us, then I think that we can stick to this process. The third thing that I learnt, or Kathy and I learnt through this scenario, is that forgiveness is a process. It starts with a conscious choice. We choose to cancel the sin debt of the other person. Kathy and I, we forgave each other. We forgave the other person involved. At that moment when we forgave each other, do you know what changed? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing changed. And yet, everything changed. You see, nothing changed in that our feelings didn't change. There was still hurt. There was still anger. Those feelings were still there. There was still a lack of trust. There was still a battle to be had. Nothing changed. And yet at the same time, everything changed. Because in forgiving, we started a process. A process that involved God into our relationship. A process that involved his strength, his power, and his willingness to help into our situation. You see, we like things done instantaneously. You see, when you go to a fast food restaurant and they point you to that waiting bay, no! No! Three minutes. I've got to wait in this waiting bay three minutes and you call this fast food. You see, we've been conditioned that we like things to happen instantaneously. But forgiveness is often a deep work of the Holy Spirit. And it's a work that we need to submit to him and allow him to take us through. You see, when Jesus said to Peter, you forgive 70 times seven, I think that applies in two different ways. I think it applies in that every new offence, every new hurt, we need to forgive. But every old hurt that comes into our remembrance, we also need to lay down and let Jesus take control. The Bible says we need to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Every time it comes up, release it again. Over the next few years, Kathy and I rebuilt our relationship, reestablished ourselves in the church. We were doing well. And then the other person involved came back into our world. And the same thoughts and the same feelings resurfaced. And once again, it was, okay, capture that thought. Make it obedient to Christ. 
Was, was it easier the second time around? Was it easier the second time around? Yeah, it was. Why? Well, partly because the emotion had left. But more importantly, it's because the process worked the first time. And because God never failed us the first time, we were able to put our trust in and let him do it again. That person came back into our worlds for only about six months. And by the time they left, I realized, you know what, I've forgiven him. And I've forgiven him from the heart. You see, I don't harbor any anger or bitterness towards them. To be honest, I don't even think about what happened all that often. I was able to reestablish a relationship with them. See, there's a saying that time heals all wounds. I disagree. I disagree. I think Jesus heals all wounds. And if we're willing to take our wounds to him, then he will heal. Our testimony is that forgiveness works. And forgiveness works not because it's a good idea. It works because it's a God idea. God removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. And with his help, we can do the same for each other. In Romans 8, verses 26 and 28, it says, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Church, if you're struggling to forgive, can I encourage you, let the Holy Spirit in. Allow him to turn into good all things. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 